Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Sean Shea. Sean is a serial entrepreneur and currently serves as the CEO of Concrete, building a simple way of saving and investing in commercial real estate for everyone. Previously, he was the chief product officer and co-founder of FlowRoute, an award-winning business communications provider focusing on API-driven SMS, SIP trunking, and telecommunication resources. FlowRoute delivers cost savings, flexibility, and higher quality connections to thousands of businesses around the world. Sean thrives off of his long, lifelong passion for entrepreneurship, technology, culture, design, and hip-hop. His talents have served Fortune 100 companies, including Apple, Linksys, Cisco, and Motorola, pushing forward new marketing ventures and fostering rapid growth. Sean holds a degree in information and computer science from the University of California, Irvine. He developed his expertise in technology, marketing, and design growing up in Davis, California. Welcome, Sean. Thanks for having me, Shauna. Really excited to be here. I'm excited too. Okay, we're starting with some rapid fire. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Tupac or Biggie? Oh, Biggie. <laughs> me too. Which is See? weird because I'm West Coast, but <laughs> I I'm know. Like, it's this cadence. I don't know. I just resonate with it better. Yeah, I do too. Uh, although I do love Tupac. Okay, CEO you most admire. That's a tough one, I know. Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I feel like I bounce around a lot. Um, for a while of Steve Jobs, I think recently Elon Musk, just for his boldness in terms of his, his actions, perspective and decisiveness. Uh, and I don't know, I just, I'm, I admire and I study CEOs and I feel like there's oh. something to learn from everyone. Okay. So what is a favorite thing that you like to photograph? <laughs> I have to say my dog That's um, so funny. i have a shiba I, inu <laughs> so wait I'm what like, kind of dog is it i'm writing it down it's it's a, a black and a black and tan shiba inu um she's sort of on the smaller size um you know when it comes to photography i'll run around and take photos of friends family my girlfriend everything but then it just seems like my dog ends up filling <laughs> up the majority of That's my hard awesome. drive <laughs> okay what's your uh what's i guess the best foodie city Oh, best foodie city. Um, my best experiences have been in New York. Um, I'm, you know, spent a lot of time in LA, so I think there's a lot of great restaurants, but something about New York, the density, the ability to like go from one block to another and find phenomenal food is, is really fun. Um, I totally and I, agree. I feel like Seattle is really starting to pick up the, the foodie game. Um, so yeah. I feel like the competition is really starting to come in, which is nice. Like coming it from California, nice. it's, it's, it's nice to see. Yes. Okay. So if you could meet anyone, who would you choose? Today, if I could meet anyone, um, I'd, I'd love to meet Steve Jobs at a point in time. Um, I've heard a lot of really different stories about him. 
but I think he's also been very inspirational to a lot of people that are working in, in sort of like the product space. Uh, and it would just be nice to kind of see how he is. Yeah, I agree. Um, three words that you would use or that others would use to describe your leadership style. Um, quick, um, decisive and empathetic. I love it. I think we might have similar styles. Quick and decisive are, are somewhat overlapped, I guess. Empathetic. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that you're just in the little that I know you, I'm guessing you're also like a motivator. You've got good energy. I, I hope I am. I, I think there's times, you know, I, I, I used to dance and, and, and direct uh, hip hop teams. And uh, for anyone that's danced, I think everyone knows like how, how brutal those rehearsals can be. And so um, I, I think there's part of me too that I, I feel like at times I'm like a tiger dad and then I try to flip over to being like the cheerleader as well. Yeah. That's a nice, a delicate, uh, no pun intended, but it is a delicate dance. So tell yeah. me, so, okay, in the intro, we were talking about Davis, California. That's where you're from. How yeah. did your family end up there? And what was your childhood like um, being raised there? Well, I think for my parents, they didn't really have that much of a choice. Um, the majority of my family had already started um, immigrating from Taiwan into uh, the United States. And um, I don't know why they chose Davis, California, but they did. And then my parents, I think, were one of the last ones to kind of make it over. Um, and then we ended up buying the house of my uncle and aunt, and then we just lived there. And so while growing up, I didn't know people moved. It was like a weird thing. I, I, I was in the same house, like from the moment I was born to when I left for college. And are, they, um, are your parents still there? Yeah, my mom is still in Davis, California right now. Um, and they actually float around a little bit more. So yeah. my, my, my parents, my family do now. Um, and yeah. how has, how has their story as, um, I guess your first generation, right? So how has that shaped you or kind of the way that you see the world and, and America and like the opportunities here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I grew up in, in, in Davis was really small city to, to begin with. Um, and then my family of the, the sort of household I grew up with my, my grandmother lived with us. And she had already raised, uh, you know, all of my uncles and aunts, and then also some of my cousins. So I had a grandmother who was like hardcore Taiwanese culture. My parents, we, I worked in a restaurant family. So I had been working since like an early age. So I feel like there's a lot of things about my childhood that were just like, uh, I'm, I'm Taiwanese Chinese at home. And then when I'm in school, like I, I had the other identity, which I think explains a lot of even how I was in college. The, so it, it's, it was really interesting to kind of have the, uh, what felt like a clash when I was a kid, you know, in, the, in terms of the cultures, but now I, I feel like, wow, it's, it's really, it's really an amazing opportunity to be able to see things from multiple lenses. Yeah. And did you, how would you describe the Taiwanese culture? Because I'm obsessed with learning about different cultures and I feel like you can read about it but I also think just learning like what the home life is like the food the values um the way that Taiwanese uh people see themselves relative to their experience um in our country I think is just helpful and especially in these days where there's um you know Asian hate and black hate and Jewish hate and all sorts of just craziness in our 
in our country, especially, I think that it's helpful to learn people's stories. Yeah, um, I think growing up in, in Davis, um, being uh, part of the Chinese community, it was a really small community. And so um, there was a lot of focus around like being able to support each other. Um, this sort of like uh, undertone of um, we're not, you know, everyone's trying to figure it out, right? And, and I think what um, my, what I saw from my parents was their generosity and their desire to always be there for other people in our community. And that's something that I picked up from them. And I don't know if that was so much cultural, uh, but I do feel like when I, when I visit Taiwan again, it's like, I see it, you know, it's like everyone's here for each other and it, it's, it's really sort of heartwarming and uh, inspiring. Um, and, and I see that in, in other communities out here in America too. And so um, that's something that I learned. Um, we are very direct. So I think in my, that might just be my family. Uh, we, we don't mind uh, just kind of like, being raw and, and saying, you know, what it is. Um, but it's also interesting because then there's this point culturally too, where we're always trying to maintain like the peace in the room. And so you don't say things. And so passive aggressiveness kind of comes up. So I had a really interesting mix as, as a child. Yeah. And what were you into back then? I mean, when did you start dancing and like getting into, I guess, computer science? How old were you when those things started to appear? So I don't feel like I had uh, the I feel like I had a really interesting childhood because I I was playing sports, but then I was always really bored in, in Davis too. So my parents worked a lot. And so that meant that I'd have to go find hobbies to sort of like take up my own time. Um, I got in computers uh, at an early age. Um, my uncle and, and I think my cousin had brought over a computer at a point in time. And that's why I started. It was sort of like, you know, I can play some games like really old school games on a computer and, and then from there I figured out how to install more games and then oh I got curious gosh. about like what does this installation script do and so I started dissecting that that's amazing um, and so it, it's just like what you know it's when you give someone something and you start trying to reverse engineer the whole thing yeah and I, think I will that's say that's not everybody though I, it's just not everybody like I think that I've had lots of people on the podcast who are in technology who describe themselves like that and I'm like I wasn't like that. You know, my kids aren't like that. My husband wasn't like that. Like, I think it's like, that's just a DNA thing. Like, I, I don't know if it's a curiosity or if it's a, um, some people have described it as like rebelliousness. Like I want to take things apart um, or just uh, resourcefulness. Like, I don't know what skill that is, but it's amazing to hear. I think it was sheer boredom for me as a kid, to be honest. <laughs> let me just let me just have him direct. So let me net net it. I was, <laughs> I was I was bored. So what about dancing? I mean, that's killer. I love it, and I want to see you dance. Yeah. So I I started dancing in um, high school, like in in jazz choir. So it was sort oh, of like wow. the glee club in, in, in my high school. And uh, I I think as I was going through high school, I started experimenting with other forms of dance. Um, I got asked by a few friends to uh, like, they didn't have enough guys in their ballet. So then I tried that. And, and of course I was like, okay, this is weird. Right. I'm trying to play tennis on, you know, varsity tennis and in the same time do this. Like, I don't know if this is cool, but I'm like, it's fine. Let me just like try it out. I was trying to be supportive of friends in college. It, that's where things got really interesting. Um, I first got exposed to like hip hop dance crews in college. And um, the first performance I saw, I was like, I got to do that that is awesome. Like, I was just so excited. The feeling that I had was like, I was so inspired. Uh, I was like, I want more of this. And so that's what drew me in. Uh, and then, you know, before I knew it, I was, I was practicing trying to figure out how do I do a hip hop dance. Um, I did a little bit of breaking 
in in junior high and high school but i was you know terrible weird awkward linky guy and so for for me getting into hip-hop dance was uh, a great journey yeah and how did you decide on irvine not not uc davis <laughs> oh yeah so um my parents would prefer if I stayed in Davis. Like that was of the conversation. Course. I'm sure um, your grandma too. Like, I love that <laughs> multi-generational homes. That's the best. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I grew up in the same house and I realized I was like, this is probably my, my one opportunity to get yeah. out um, and, and to exper- experience the world. Um, so that really motivated me. And I think when I was looking into um, UCI and their computer science program, I was like, this is actually a pretty good program. Um, and I went to go visit and it just, it felt right. Um, I went to go visit a few colleges and campuses and, um, Davis was awesome as an opportunity as, as an option. Uh, but I just felt like it was the right move for me at the time. And you decided to study computer science cause you knew, I mean, uh, I guess you are super young, but I'm like, that is just the most incredibly smart major how did you have that insight to know to pursue that? Or was it just a passion thing? Were you thinking like big picture, like, what do I want to be? I, you know, I went through a few chapters, I think in high school. So I was building websites for companies and that's kind of what got uh, me started in, in, in really deeply getting to web programming at that time. And, and this was back when it was still like HTML2, moving on to HTML3. So it was like table heaven for all the HTML files. It's just, you know, the, the, there was not a lot on the internet at the time. Um, I was curious. I was always curious about computer science. I think I got uh, really um, like my, my my some of my teachers in, in high school really suggested that I, I take it seriously. I think at that age, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted. Um, but there was enough of these like conversations swimming in the back of my head, and then also the fact that I felt like I could be passionate about this. So I was like, let's give it a shot. And I think a lot of people go to college today in their first year going, this is really my exploratory year. I'm just trying to figure myself out. And so I, I still gave myself that opportunity. I think, you know, getting into dance, like for a while, I thought maybe I should transition into the arts. Um, like maybe that's where, you know, it, it made a lot more sense. But I just always found myself like uh, with computer science going, this just makes sense to me. And yeah. so um, I just thought, well, it feels like it's the right thing. So I'm going to keep pursuing it. Yeah. And what advice would you give your younger self? Like, do you feel like you made the right choice, the right school, the right size? Um, I'm asking as a mom who's got a kid that might be thinking about applying to college soon. Um, And then also, like, how did you support yourself? Sure. Um, Well, I think the piece of advice I'd probably give myself is is to trust my gut more um, and then to be transparent and open with those around me about it. Um, I think growing up in sort of an Asian American home, there's just a lot of, you know, um, I don't know if you, you've had other founders kind of tell you like the archetypes, it's like be a doctor, oh, an engineer, a lawyer. I was about to and say, like, it's like, hello, you're talking to a Jewish person. It's like, we're the same. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, you're, you're, you're like, you're, you're growing up and you're like, here you go. Here are your lanes. You're going to mm-hmm. work yourself into it. Let's get you into all the after school courses. Um, so I, I was always thinking about that and, and, and I think computer science was sort of like, my parents were like, this is acceptable. This, you're an engineer, this is acceptable. So they, they weren't like ecstatic at the time, um, but I just <laughs> felt like this is something that I, would, I still want to pursue. Yeah. Um, so I think trusting my gut, that's something I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, I love that, that's great right advice. Now. Everybody um, could use that for all ages. And, and how did you end up supporting yourself? Well, I, 
I was working through college. So my parents really supported me in, in terms of tuition. And then in, in terms of um, like living expenses and towards the end of college, I really just, I was working throughout my, my four years in yeah. college. In the restaurant um, field or like in like engineering? No, in engineering. So I, I was building websites for companies for a while. And then I actually uh, ran a small venture at the tail end of high school. I was buying, uh, you know, com- computers and equipment from companies that were going out of business. And I was reselling them on eBay. Oh my gosh, you're the and ultimate so entrepreneur. That was like the thing that allowed me to have my own spending money. Um, and I learned a lot during that experience in terms of building a brand. I was also doing uh, quite a bit of uh what, what's considered affiliate marketing today or sort of um, channel-based and um, speaking with a lot of other CEOs and, and sort of like tapping into their networks in terms of going, oh, do they want this too? Um, so yeah. it's a very niche space uh, in terms of the, what I was selling. Um, and I just kind of built a reputation at the time. And so I became uh, a distributor for Sony Japan for like these ultra small laptops that were like, I would come in, I would actually customize and redo some of the software uh, before I sent it out to, to my clients. That's incredible. And how big did you build that business? I mean, was it like a legit thing that, um, you know, did you ultimately, I guess, did you just leave or did you exit in some sort of like, you sold it? What happened no, to the business? I didn't, I didn't sell it. I, I wish I'd gotten to that point where I was that sophisticated to understand it. Um, the, <laughs> well, the you revenue, were like a, a child. Yeah, I was I was just figuring stuff out. I, I think I was motivated right around like, oh, I want to go get, you know, some food on the weekends. So right, I need to have exactly. spending money and I want to buy that toy or that thing. And um, so it was never, I didn't have a long-term perspective on it at the time. Um, but I do think, you know, I, I take a look and I'm like, people legitimately have real companies that do this today. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. it's interesting. It's a whole ecosystem. And, and now it's being promoted as like Amazon FBA and, you know, yeah. like, uh, but back then you didn't have any of these resources or tools. Oh yeah. And so tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. I mean, it sounded like it started young, but what do you think, um, shaped you to have kind of the confidence um to start concrete and what what year did you start it um we started concrete um at the really tail end beginning of 2019 uh we closed our first pre-seed round 2019 um i think if i want to go back to the history like as a a kid i um was always trying to figure out ways to like buy and sell things in the marketplace um, I get, went to college and I think there's a sort of a lot of exploration, studying computer science and developing technical uh, expertise at the time. I came out and I worked for um, an advertising agency down in Orange County. Mm. Um, and that's where I got exposed to working for larger clients. Um, and I helped launch two internet TV startups during that time. Um, so coming in as an art director, I was just really doing graphical work, but then they discovered that I could also engineer. Mm-hmm. And so I got looped in and then quickly I was running an engineering team for both of these companies to sort of think through the architecture and to build it out. Um, so it felt like I was the entrepreneur behind the scenes. It was like kind of hire an entrepreneur and our agency was really small. So there's only a few of us anyways. So I already was getting very comfortable with this. Like we don't have t- like time doesn't exist. So we need to figure out how to make this all work. Um, yeah. And I think I got to a point there where I had a few friends in college where we were working for uh, another telecom startup while I was still in school. uh, And they were like, hey, we're thinking of, like, we've been working on this prototype. Um, We're we're sort of like, Sean, could you take a look in in terms of what you think? Uh, And we're we're trying to figure out how to be customers. And I think at that point, I, I had developed a lot of confidence around, okay, this is how I can 
get customers in the door to scale something, um, sort of launching, you know, a few platforms uh, and then having uh, one go viral at the time. I was like, which one I was that? I think I could probably help you guys. Yeah. Uh, it was cold cast down in Orange County. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't know if everyone remembers, but there was a, they were, it was sort of like the, the early days of trying to go and find and, and, and uh, get like proprietary content. And so mm. we, they, they worked on getting proprietary content. I was uh, very deeply involved in engineering the streaming platform um, and also the user interface, like thinking through how people could interact. And this is before uh, like net, Netflix was still doing DVDs back then. Yeah, uh, so I remember. It's a very different world. Yeah, very different yeah. world back then. And what was your, uh, I guess, journey to get to FlowRoute and um, uh, Bayan? I remember him. I used yeah. to work. With, I used to work with you guys. Um, yeah. How did? I mean, I know you're the co-founder. How many co-founders were there? Is it just the two so of you? So three of us in total. So it was. Uh, yeah, um, Bayan, uh, me, and Jordan. And so Jordan and I are, mm -hmm. are working on concrete today. Um, I actually met Bayan in the first day of school at UCI. So I thought he was our TA uh, in my first computer science class. He was like fully buttoned up, had like- uh, Did he have like a mustache? A <laughs> just kidding. I, I just, the, the way he, he dressed and, and came to class, I was like, there's no way he's a student because I'm coming in with basketball shorts and, and flip-flops. So um, it was funny kind of speaking with him. And then he's like, I don't know. Like, you know, I was like, so what's the curriculum? Like, what are we, what, what are we doing for this quarter? He's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a student. So um, that was the, the first funny conversation we had, but then uh, we developed a friendship there and in college. Um, so those were actually the two friends I was telling you about that, you know, they were working on a prototype of uh, a calling platform and they had asked uh, for just my thoughts and, and help around potentially doing a website. Um, I had gotten to the point where I was like, I feel like if there's any time in our life, it's, it's, it's time to do, uh, like we should try now. So I, I left the agency, um, and pursued building floor out with Jordan Bine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and we got really lucky that first year, like we were profitable year one. Um, it was sort of a, a, a sort of a bootstrapped approach. Um, we worked with one of the most notorious hackers, uh, on the internet, um, he was giving a presentation. We had built and created this like guerrilla marketing campaign. So we created this fictitious hacker. We gave him a presentation. He went to Hope, which was a, a conference for hackers, presented it, and then it got picked up by CNET, um, like Gizmodo. And then there's always this flow out logo in the top left in the video. And so that was sort of the, the I think from my perspective, I wanted people to have a genuine curiosity before they landed on our, our website. Uh, and we were able to do that. And so we started, uh, we got our first set of customers that way. Uh, and we just started getting really honed in on what does that customer really want? We kept building yeah. there. Yeah. And and what was the result? Like, I, I think I lost touch with buy-in. I don't know where, where FlowRoute is today. Are you guys sold Well, we it? sold that comp We sold uh, FlowRoute to West in 2018. Um, yeah, 2018. Yeah. Um, and it is now still operating in downtown Seattle. Uh, yeah, that's what under I thought. The, under yeah, a different name. At, yeah, under Entrado. Um, Entrado. Okay. And, uh, and, and I still, you know, I've, I've heard from a few people that have worked there since and um, are, are work there still. Uh, and it's, it's still kind of humming along. I, I don't think anyone's really back from uh, COVID yet in the offices. Yeah. And so you had this idea, you're like, I got another run in me. You probably got another few, I'm guessing, because you're... Uh, you got that energy, but um, I guess, how did you come up with the idea for Concrete? I love the company, as you know. Thank um, you. Where did, that, where did that idea come from? 
Did, did you sit around with Jordan and say, hey, let's come up with an idea? Or did you have the idea and then grab each other and say, let's go do this? Um, so we, we actually had a, a, a like dice. And, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, I think at, at the time after we sold the company, um, I realized I was like, I'm not used to um, having to manage money. I think I was still, you know, I was pretty young and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was like, I, I feel ill-equipped to be um, thinking through this. And, I, and so I was like, I probably should start investing uh, money after selling Flora out and in mm -hmm. places that I feel like are smart. And so I really experimented with a lot of different asset classes. Um, my childhood, uh, you know, as I was investing, I was thinking about like my family a lot. And it brought me back to my childhood and real estate has always been a topic. Like it's, it's been my family's dream to, to be sort of like um, financially free. I think that was one of the big things. Um, right. Working in a restaurant. Uh, I feel like you're quite the opposite. You know, it's like, it's so you're at the crazy. beck and call of the market and the supply chain and the customers and yeah, the service and, and the employees. It's like, it's a nightmare. So many variables. Yeah. It's super so many. Hard. And you're, you're always operating under fire. Um, and my parents always wanted to create this like passive income stream, uh, something that they could rely on. I think for them, they really viewed that as a way to retire. Um, my parents didn't really invest heavily in 401ks or anything at the time. And so it was sort of that, like, um, you know, what I call sort of immigrant mentality, like invest in things that you understand and like you kind of stay in that space. Um, and so I was curious and I was like, you know what, let me get into real estate, uh, and, and start taking a look at what's really out there. Um, it was through my experience investing in a few private equity funds where I realized, mm. hmm, this is actually a fantastic experience. I feel like I'm now developing a cash flow stream that's going to allow me to be more entrepreneurial or for me to like be able to focus on, on what I want to do next. And um, it just made me feel like, um, like I had this aha moment and, and I felt like the opportunity didn't exist for a lot of people out there. And I had this identity crisis for a moment where I was like, why is it that it took me all of this work to build this company up to sell it to then now have this opportunity when I feel like the people that it could serve are really the people that don't have the opportunity today. It's always so, that way. You're right. Right. It's like, why do the celebrities don't need it? Yeah. yeah. Or, it. you know, see, so you see the more money you make, the more opportunities that come your way to make more yeah. money. It's, it's actually fascinating. I completely so, agree. So what, so what is the business model? Well, the business model today um, is uh, to, right now we, we have a private real estate fund um, that's income focused. And so we actually uh, derive revenue in a really similar fashion to a private equity fund. Uh, what makes us really unique is, is sort of the experience that we crafted around it and, and sort of the mechanics and the security and uh, accounting engine that we built that'll uh, give our investors uh, a new experience around getting into the space. So um, we took a look at a lot of the barriers, like things like, you know, being an accredited investor, uh, liquidity. Um, and we felt like there's a lot of things that sort of hold people back from getting into real estate. And so we were sort of on this mission to figure out how to break a lot of these barriers to then make it a lot more accessible, a lot more fun. Um, and we were trying to simplify the whole process. So our first product right now is one that we feel like is, is a fantastic way to supercharge your savings by investing into real estate. And it's all fixed income, uh, like in our portfolio right now. So a lot of this is like, um, you know, you invest, uh, we pay out, uh, we've been paying out weekly dividends. Um, we have opportunities for weekly liquidity. And so people really uh, have this experience that works a lot more like a savings account but you're getting yields that are uh you know far surpassing what you're seeing at the banks like what um we've been doing about five and a half percent annualized 
Uh, and, and so our thesis on this um, initial fund that we've gotten people to invest into is really around like, how do we uh, protect against inflation? How do we still get you yields that are performing well in the market? Um, while balancing this out with liquidity, because for our uh, demographic, you know, access to capital is something that um, is still a requirement in life. Um, I feel like for a lot of people that are very well off, um, they can tuck it away for longer and it's okay. Yeah. But yes, that, of that's course. not really the case. Yeah. Yeah. That's not okay, really so the case. I, for I have so many questions. Um, and if you're able to answer, great. If not, that's okay too. Okay. I'm just, I'm just curious the size of the fund. We're about 3 million AUM, so it's growing right now. Um, yeah. But we have about uh, 3,500 active investors. Oh, and that's so awesome. If you so the minimum like investment is what? It's a dollar. So how does so, that work? When you say it yields five-ish, 5.5%, so if someone puts in a dollar, they're making five cents, but they, over time- After you, right. It can compound. I mean, the goal isn't to have people just invest a dollar. No, of course, and then, like, of course. Stay there, right? But it's 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 um, it's the barrier to entry that you're trying to. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. and I, I think I think what we're seeing right now is that um, it's getting harder and harder for people to save up enough money than go. I want to deploy, you know, a few thousand dollars at a time. Like saving up five hundred dollars is already really challenging for a lot of a lot of families, and so the thesis around bringing down the dollar uh, access line was around making this more accessible on a day-to-day basis, right? Mm. If you remember, I want like, uh, like randomly throughout the day, oh, I want to practice a good financial behavior. Maybe I should invest right now. That ability to just quickly top off, I think will then spur better financial behaviors long-term. And so we want to make that accessible. And it's really challenging in the private equity space. Um, if you take a look at these, uh, you know, different real estate investments and funds, I mean, the minimums are usually really high. Um, and, and you have other, you have other sort of requirements along the way. Um, and so we felt like this was something that um, would allow people to step into this asset class and start to experience it and, and find, you know, whether or not they find value in it, they could they would still have the ability to continue and grow. And so that's really the hope we've had uh, our first cohort of customers come in with like an average of $100 for their mm. initial investment. And then within the year, they've like seven X'd it, you know, in terms oh, that's of balance. So, so cool. I love it. This is the so best business. You know, I'm obsessed. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I think we're just trying to figure out um, what does what we call them the digital class of investors, right? The people that want to use technology and they're focused on the experience. They're like, how does this investment serve me in my life day to day? For that demographic, we're thinking about what do we need to construct and then make this more meaningful and more connected? And I think that's the one thing that's been challenging about real estate, even for me, is once I invest, it's kind of like set it, forget it. And sometimes I really forget that I'm in it because it's just gone or I'm not in that city or something like that. And, and we're trying to figure out a way to, to really pull people in a lot more mm -hmm. to kind of bring that experience to the forefront. So um, I have literally like a hundred questions, but um, so it's a fund. So they're not investing in individual assets there. It's, it's yeah. like a pool of all the things that you've invested in. So it's commercial real estate across which cities? Across the nation right now, um, we do have a bit of concentration in the Pacific Northwest because we also have, um, you know, different business relationships out here with different originators. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we just like the market too. Yeah, we it's just a great like, market. I mean, Seattle was, you know, again, the fastest growing city in America last year, you know, with the stats coming out, um, super cool to see. I mean, I think we could all feel it, which is weird because, you know, we're all quarantining and, and trying to figure life out over here. Um, 
but we felt like it was a relatively protected market yeah. in terms of market absorption. Right. Uh, and everybody and, thinks it's like the top, but it's not slowing down. It's like technology's continuing to yeah. grow in this area, which will obviously continue to impact real yeah. estate. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's super exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. Um, okay. So if somebody's listening and they want to get involved or want to invest money, they just download the app, invest the money. And then um, yep. I guess how do withdrawals work? And then is this, um, is this compared to like a crowdfunding situation or is it just one-to-one like their, their money is their money invested in this asset class? So really their money is their money investments as asset class. Um, we built a fund because uh, the picking and choosing, I feel like puts a lot of risk on the shoulders of the individual investor. And, and for the investors we're pulling in, they, um, we believe they want a simplified experience and uh, to be more focused on their, their financial Right. And it's kind of like, if you were going to do that, then they would take the time to go do that if they had the money to do it, but they're depending right. on you to have a diversified portfolio. And yeah, that makes sense. managed, right. But, you know, by uh, yeah. fund managers that are in the space every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we felt like that was sort of the thing that's going to help, you know, really provide people with a bit more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can download the app within minutes, you can get signed up, uh, you can get invested into the fund. Um, when your investment is, is, is brought into the fund, you know, you can then partake in, in future weekly dividends. Uh, if, if When profits are being distributed, we've been very consistent about weekly dividends for the last year. Um, and in terms of withdrawals, um, those are requests. We typically process them, uh, in about a week. Um, but you know, it's, it, we, we tell a lot of our customers and investors today that, uh, you should think about this more as like a midterm investment that it's, it's, it doesn't work quite as quick as a, uh, you know, what you'd see with a traditional bank, because your money is truly getting invested in a private equity, uh, a private equity fund. And then from there, there's a, a bit of work on the back end, but our goal is to make this as seamless. And, and so we have the desire to keep pushing to get to the point where it really feels fluid and, and fully liquid. Right. And how, how do you protect the money? And then also, is there a certain amount of time that it has to be locked up or can you access it whenever you want it? We don't have lockups. So unlike, you know, traditional uh, like the real estate funds, there might be like a, a minimum of like a year lockup or a few. Um, we, we don't have lockups in our, in our fund. Um, the way that we protect money is really through disciplined underwriting. Uh, we today are not, um, we're not originating our, our own loans. And so we actually go and, and build relationships with other originators uh, and we will re-verify and just ensure it fits inside of the, the, um, the, the loan box that we're looking for. And just to make sure that, you know, the, the returns uh, are commensurate with the, the risk that we're taking on and that it's really well protected. So one of our first um, goals is to protect investor principal. And then from there, it's to generate consistent cash yields. Yeah, we like that, right? Yeah. And so do you have to be a certain age to invest? Is there a minimum age? I don't know what the legalities are around that. Yeah, that's really an SEC requirement. So it's it's just 18 years uh, oh, yeah. and up. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that really does a great job of opening it up to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I agree. So um, so you started talking about um, that you've been funded. How much have you raised mm-hmm. and from who? And where? what stage are you at? The seed seed round stage? We're, yeah, 
this was the seed round stage. So we raised $6 million. Matrix Partners led that deal. Um, Hyphen Capital uh, participated Unlock. Uh, Venture Partners participated. And then also individually, uh, Ben Elowitz and also John Stein, founder of Betterment, did as well. Very cool. And how, how many employees do you have right now? And what are your plans as far as scaling and recruiting? We have 11 full-time right now. I think sort of the broader team, when you think about contractors and remote teams um, that we're, we're bringing in, we're roughly about like 20, I would say, in, in terms of in, in Slack, you'll see all the names sort of like fly around in the conversations. Um, our hiring plans, um, we're, we're looking to scale the team. So uh, we're talking through about four to six uh, new active roles right now. And, and that's actually a conversation that we're still um, figuring out with all the department heads. Yeah. Well, it's so exciting. What a, what a great opportunity for someone. Um, tell me about the market, like the total addressable market seems uh, endless, basically. Are there competitors in the space? And if so, where are you in your timing relative sure. to yeah. their launch? Um, so the, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the, the addressable market is is one that's like really hard right. it's to like where calculate. Does it begin and end? Um, yeah. Yeah, like we've tried to think through like what's the private equity real estate market look like, um, you know, what is just the real estate market look like in general. Um, I think given the fact that, you know, we introduced this fund, uh, we have aspirations to ultimately make this look and feel a lot like the acorns of the betterment of, of private real estate, where you can come in, simply create an account, pick and choose uh, themes or the blend that you like in your portfolio, and then we'll go out and manage that. So um, I think with that said, um, it's hard for me to really quantify it. It's big. It's just big. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we're, we're talking about trillions of dollars. We're not talking about like yeah, you totally. know, the $5 million market here. Um, in terms of competitors, like, uh, I think it's just a very competitive market in general in real estate. So, um, it really depends on how you want to look at it. Um, we get compared a lot to, uh, Fundrise, who is also, you know, SEC qualified in terms of their offerings. Um, they, uh, have been around the market for quite some time. And um, I, I usually tell people right now, what we focus on is technology to enable different experience in private equity investing. So we're, we're studying mutual funds. We, we think through like, how do we make this um, more fractional nature? Like we've learned a lot from just taking a look at even the DeFi blockchain space and thinking through like, what are they introducing over there? What can we bring over here and not have it be necessarily DeFi, but then the benefits, like how do we bring those into what we're doing today? Mm -hmm. um, so we feel like we're uh, pretty differentiated in, in terms of being able to provide liquidity. Um, we also have, just have a very different experience like with our weekly dividends. And uh, it just feels like there's more of a pulse. Um, that's the feedback we've gotten from a lot of our customers and investors that, that do spend time investing on other platforms or even um, into like direct directly into real estate themselves. Yeah. And how big are you trying to grow this thing? Like what are your long-term plans and kind of what's the vision? Well, I think uh, I, I've sort of been uh, talking with people recently and I, I think in a lot of ways um, I, I'd like to build this up to be competitive with a, like BlackRock in the future. So I think BlackRock has wow. done a phenomenal job um, pulling in institutional investors, pulling in uh, sort of the um, high net worth. And the experience is very different. It's like, it's truly PE, like, okay, here we go. Here are the docs. We're going to walk through. There's lawyers involved, et cetera. Um, but I do believe that people are looking for convenience in terms of getting into investments. I think we saw a huge shift in the markets given Robinhood, like during COVID. Um, I think we're starting to see a lot more money flood into a lot of the robo-advisors uh, in terms of the applications like Wealthfront, 
uh, M1, Betterment. Um, and I think people will choose the experience that makes sense for them. And I, I think uh, that we have a really good shot at, at being a, a household name when it comes to real estate investing. Like I think so too. We're, we're growing this company in Seattle. It's a backyard of Zillow and Redfin. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an incredible business model. I think you're definitely the leader to take it to that that level. And um, I'm personally going to definitely invest. And hopefully, this podcast reaches people and they do the same thing. That would be my goal. It's awesome. Yeah, thank so you. So t- tell me how you're balancing it all, and what do you do um, when you're not taking pictures of the Shiba Inu and, <laughs> and maybe, maybe dancing and your girlfriend? Like, how do you spend your time and um, and just kind of, what do you do, I guess, to set yourself up for balance? I've been working out a lot, um, just because, you know, during the days in the office, it's really high pace. And I feel like, um, I kind of carry that energy when I go to the gym. Um, I have a trainer as well. And, um, it just gives me the ability to sort of like counter the day with physical activity. Mm-hmm. Um, meditation's a, a thing that I practice. Um, I also have this device called brain tap um if you haven't seen it it's super cool uh it sort of like induces uh, almost like a transcendental meditative state um and it takes you through a few different programs it's it's really fun so if, if you're into like um i forget the the category right now but it, it's sort of like we're calm and um like some of these other devices out there but yeah the, the mindfulness piece i think is so critical to sort of balance yeah. balance out um and then i'm a foodie so i like to eat um I was like a fat kid growing up. And so I was like, just, you know, I grew up in a restaurant, so there's food was always around. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love running around and trying new restaurants. Yeah. Well, send me some of your suggestions. I, I like to eat too. Um, and I agree that Seattle's becoming more of a foodie city. And, and I also love to work out. So you're doing all sorts of stuff to keep balanced. I love it. Um, and what's your ultimate fuel? What fuels you? Yeah. So I think, uh, part of the story that I explained earlier, like after I sold Flow Out, um, I, I kind of went off on a journey. I really understand myself a little bit deeper. Um, I started thinking about like um, what my purpose is. Uh, mm. It feels like, you know, life flies by so fast and we only have so much time here. And um, I really wanted to do something meaningful in this world that I felt like was going to be positive that could help people. And um, I was like, I'm not that great at running nonprofits. I've never done it before. I'm like, what am I good at? And I'm like, I'm a tech guy. And so I know how to do this, build products and, 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 and build a company. Um, and, I, and I'm really passionate about real estate right now. And so all of this started kind of coming together. Uh, and so I think what fuels me right now is just thinking through um, that, you know, I, I want to be here to really help build a, a better world where there's financial opportunity and, and fairness to it. Um, and so... You know, there's there's a lot of things that are, are really challenging about our current sort of like macro, uh, like the sort of macro topics that we're seeing right now. And um, it just feels like there's so much more work to do, you know, and I, I get up and I, I got to go. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. 
We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Small disclaimer for this podcast, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational and educational purposes only and may change at any time based on the market or other conditions and may not come to pass. Listeners to this podcast should be aware of the real risks in investing, including the risk of loss of your investment. There is liquidity risk and there is no guarantee that you'll be able to exit your investment upon immediate request through the redemption program. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments or strategies discussed on this podcast do not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs. This material is not to be construed as or relied upon as investment advice or recommendations does not constitute a solicitation to buy or sell securities and should not be considered legal investment or tax advice.